I mean, as you know, we've, we've received the notice. We've gotten our orders from our county that we're free to kind of uh, start making preparations to come back. And we have been working to that end, realizing that things are going to look a little bit different. We have been looking forward to the day when we finally get to gather together. And we've gotten word now that uh, we have to keep that gathering to no more than 100 people uh, in our sanctuary. So things are obviously going to uh, look a little bit different, and, and though it will take some time for things to get back into its full swing of everything, we're excited for the fact that we can at least begin the process, and uh, we hope that you will be rejoicing with us in that sense as we start easing and preparing to have things get back to normal, realizing it's going to take some time to actually get there. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we need to do to kind of get ready for that. You know, like I said, things are going to look a little different around here and we're going to do things a little bit differently. And so we're just asking that you would be praying for us as we try to get everything ready to go and try to get everything in place. I mean, there's people to get in place to monitor certain things. There's signs to get in place, uh, limiting uh, access to things and talking about social distancing. There's cones to put in place on parking spots so that we keep the the right amount of space in between uh, our cars. There's tape to be put down on the floor so that we all kind of get used to following in in our little lines and kind of staying in our certain spots and creating that distancing. There's hand sanitizer to be bought, and and Lord knows we need a lot of that to be ready to go. I mean, the list could go on and on, but there's many things to keep us busy getting ready for this next Sunday as we have the, uh, uh, the green light to move back and to kind of start easing back into meeting together as a church. And again, we have all of this and we want to do this well. You know, we, we don't want to just kind of slap it together and just kind of see what happens when everybody shows up. We want to be prepared and we want to do this well. We want to care for you well. So again, be, be, please be in prayer for the body. Please be in prayer for the elders. I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me and have just encouraged me to let me know that they are praying for us as elders. They know what a difficult situation this is. They know how much we long to get back and to get everybody back together and to kind of be able to to do all that we normally do. Um, And yet we have limitations. And so we want to just be um, asking for prayer as we figure out how best to move forward in light of the, the guidelines that we have. And, you know... These, these are difficult. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to try to say this is going to be easy. Um, some of us want to just get back to normal, but that's not quite where we're at right now. So again, we want to help you, and today's message is meant to help you as your shepherds to care for you and to kind of prepare you for getting back, realizing things are going to look a little bit different. And so that's really what we want to focus in on uh, this morning asking you if you're ready for our reunion, if you're ready to kind of get back, because we realize, again, it's not going to be the logistical dynamics that are going to be the hardest part for us as a church body coming back. It's going to be the spiritual and the relational dynamics, because things aren't going to be as they were. And we want to make sure that we are preparing you as the church body here to come back in a way that you will be ready to process this spiritually and relationally in the right way. Again, we don't have the green light to kickstart everything as it was before. That's not what's been given to us. Things are going to look different. And so understandably, the whole process is going to require a lot of patience, a lot of flexibility, and most of all, a lot of grace for each of us. Because quite honestly, you know, again, we all, we all come from this at, at different angles and different places, right? So we need to have everything in our hearts ready. We need to prepare our hearts for this gradual reunion. 
as we ease back into it, we need to be preparing our hearts that God will um, allow us to start kind of easing back. And we, we all kind of do this as Christians, don't we? We all kind of already have this idea of an already but not yet, right? We understand this concept that we've been adopted into God's family. We're God's children. We're, we're new creatures in Christ. And that's all been inaugurated. It's all started, but we haven't seen it in all of its full glory and all of its full extent. So we kind of have this idea of what it is to kind of begin something but not see it in its fullness. And that's kind of what we're going to be doing with church when we get together this, uh, this next Sunday. We're going to be getting together with the anticipation, knowing that the time is coming where we're all going to be able to get together. And again, that ultimate culmination is going to come when we're in glory. But we're going to kind of ease our way back into it. We're, we're going to meet as a church. We're still Calvary Bible Church. It's just going to look a little bit differently. And again, we want to see what God's word has to say to us this morning about how we can do this well. How we can do this in a way that will bring glory to Christ. How we can do this in a way that will exalt Christ. And the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. So if you have your Bibles out there and you're in your jammies and sitting on your couch, wherever you may be doing, go ahead and just kind of flip there to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. And this is what we're going to be looking at this morning. And again, Peter starts off this section, he says, to sum up. You know, really what Peter's been instructing these believers to is, is to a humble submission in the face of adversity and persecution. So he's kind of summing some things up here because he's, he's been calling them to humbly deal with their circumstances. As difficult and as trying and as hard as they may be, he wants them to have a humble submission to the things that they're going through. And he's reminded them that in this example that we see is, 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 is this humble submission. The ultimate example is the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 2.21 it says, For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. You see, brothers and sisters, Christ suffered. He submitted himself to God's glory, ultimately for God's glory. And you and I need to be a people who do that as well. We're not to be the people that are complaining and grumbling and, and going around and saying how wrong everything is. We're to be a people that humbly submit ultimately to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but also to those authorities that are over us. And then in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we're instructed that this humble submission is not only the case towards those in authority over us, but it should also be the case in the home as well. In fact, husbands and wives are instructed to submit themselves to Christ in the way that they relate to one another. And this is something that we need to practice as believers. But now in 3.8, in the verse that we're talking about, and we're going to be looking at this morning, he focuses on strong relationships among one another as Christians. How we are to deal with one another as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, verse, verse 9 and following are focused more specifically on our attitude towards the non-believing world. And we're not going to look at this this morning. We're going to just look at verse 8 today. And so our focus is going to be on verse 8. And we're going to, we're going to look at, at five adjectives. Five adjectives that show us how we should behave toward one another while we're facing difficulties, trials, hardships, whatever label you want to throw on that. But this is five adjectives that you and I need to practice in how we relate to one another when, during times of great trial and testing. But before I, I get into that, let me just read First Peter 3.8, just so we have it 
before us. This is what the Word of God has to say, and then we'll break it down in each of these sections. It says, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. So again, if you and I are going to be ready for our reunion, these are some things we're going to need to practice so that we're ready to step into these doors in a way that's going to bring glory to God. And let's start with the first one, and that is a heart of diligent unity. Having a heart of diligent unity. To sum up, all of you, be harmonious. Be harmonious. Now, the basic meaning of the word means to be of one mind, to be single-minded, to be like-minded. And I don't know about you, but I find it interesting that in, in, in the face of trials and testing and, and hardships, um, that they'd be instructed to, to be unified. Because you would think that in a time like that, that that surely would be something that would bring them together as they're suffering together, as they're going through hard times together. Clearly, that would bring them together. But yet, Peter still charges them to, to be unified, to have a spirit of unity. And you know what? It, this is true for us, too, because so often when, when we feel the pressures of adversity, when we find ourselves being squeezed by our circumstances, rather than entrusting ourselves to the Lord, we tend to um, grumble and complain. And again, when it comes to, uh, to harmony or, or unity, there, the sense here isn't that we're, um, we're, we're not uh, able to think differently or we're not able to kind of have differing opinions. Okay, we're, we're, we're able to do those types of things. But what Peter wants us to know is he's saying that we all have the same exact identical. He's not saying that we all have the same identical opinions. He, he is calling, though, that we have this, this spiritual uh, essential of being unified in the gospel. Right? It's the gospel that unifies us. It's not necessarily our difficulties, our trials, whatever we're going through. He calls us to, to kind of have this unity in Christ, in the gospel. We're to have one unified common purpose. And that unified common pur- purpose is to exalt Christ in everything that we do. You know, Paul expressed his heart when, when he wrote this to the brethren in 1 Corinthians 9.23. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. And in Philippians 1.27, he wrote to the saints at Philippi, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You see, brothers and sisters, the issue in harmonious Christian unity is not really even about unity in and of itself. It's really about Christ and his gospel. See, the glory of Christ needs to be our greatest commitment And it needs to be our greatest concern at all times. It needs to be the thing that overrides everything else, especially when we face hardship and perplexing questions into the future. Now, I'm no expert on music, but I do know what I like and what I don't like. And I think we can all appreciate this. Uh, We all have certain types of music that we appreciate. Maybe you're kind of one of those people that likes classical music. Maybe you're one of those heavy metal headbangers, maybe you're one of those alternative artsy types, you know, whatever it may be. Maybe you're the pop culture type, I mean, whatever it may be. We all have different types of music, or maybe you're just pure worship because you're so godly, right? Um, But, you know, we all have different types of music that we're drawn to. And, you know, there's some people that can listen to a song, and some people will love it, 
And other people go, eh, not so much. I don't really kind of care for that very much. Now, again, that doesn't mean that a person can't be unified because they have a differing opinion on something. Again, if it's the gospel that draws us together, if it's the gospel that creates this, this harmony, this unity amongst us, then again, that's the thing that's going to drive us, not whether or not we see everything eye to eye. What we have to see eye to eye and what needs to unite us, what needs to make us harmonious, what needs to be the focal point is the gospel. The fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That the gospel message is the key point. And that, if we're going to move forward, has to be the key thing for us. Though we're all different, though we all have different opinions, we all have different tastes, we all have different ideas about all kinds of different things, and we come from different backgrounds, we come from different life experiences, the one unifying reality that brings all of us into harmony is, brothers and sisters, the gospel. It's key. Our common person, our champion is Christ. That is our focal point. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the, the flag that we need to be waving high before the entire world. It's, the, it's the, the kingdom of Christ that needs to be put on display. That the Lord, during his earthly ministry, he championed these things. He came to do his Father's will. To carry out this, this gospel message. So that sinners like you and me can be saved and reconciled before a holy God. The Apostle Paul also championed this gospel in Philippians 1.18. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. So, brothers and sisters, let me encourage you and challenge you that as God's people, to remember that our one purpose, the one thing that, that unites us, is that you and I are here to exalt Christ. We are here to make much of him. And you know, I I hear a lot of Christians frustrated, angry about all the dynamics that are kind of going on. And and again, uh, the limitations that are being put on us as we we regather and trying to get back together. And you know what? This is something I long to do as well. This is is my heart. I want to come back. I wanted to come back a couple weeks ago. But you know what? Our, our idea needs to be here that it's not about our own personal preferences. It's about what is going to bring glory to Christ. What is it that unites us? Our, it shouldn't be that we, we have a group of people that want to come back and a group of people that don't want to come back. What should unite us is the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. This needs to be the thing. And we should long for that day when, when we're going to be able to worship again together fully. We're going to be able to apply the word together fully. We're going to be able to serve again together fully. We're not going to have any limitations. But until we get there, again, we need to remember what unifies us. And what unifies us is our identity in Christ. Beloved, our greatest need right now is to make sure that we are being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? So that Christ can be exalted amongst us. It's not first and foremost about our rights. It's not about what we have coming to us as American citizens. And again, I'm not trying to downplay that. Praise God that we live in a country where we have freedoms and we have ways that we can kind of appeal and do things. But, you know, it's not us being Americans that unites us. What unites us is the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to keep that at the forefront. That needs to be the thing that unites us, that brings us all together. Wherever we land on the spectrum of whether we think things are being done right or wrong, whatever it may be, we need to be united in the fact that we are 
followers of Jesus Christ. And we want to exalt him and bring him glory in everything that we say and do, even as we prepare to gather together again in our reunion. Now, a second Christ-exalting heart attitude that we should cultivate and commit ourselves to during this time is a heart of willing sensitivity. And you know what? This one really begins to start putting a little bit of meat to what it means to do the hard work of preserving unity during this time. Peter writes this. He says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, sympathetic. The word has the sense of sharing in something. And specifically in the context of suffering is here, it means to share in the feelings of another, whether they be feelings of joy or in their feelings of pain or sadness or sorrow. You know, it's easy to share in the feelings of somebody who's joyful, right? I mean, who doesn't like to have a good time? Who doesn't like to celebrate when things are going really well and everything's great and everything's just the way you want it to be and you couldn't be happier? That's easy to jump in and be on board during those good times. But it's quite another challenge to take upon another's feelings, emotions, when they're sad, when they're struggling, when life's hard. And things don't make sense. Whole other thing to do that. And yet by God's grace, this is what we're called to do. This is the type of attitude that you and I are to have towards one another. We're to have these hearts of, of sympathy, compassion, the understanding, the sensitivity, as it were. And what, uh, what Peter's trying to get at here is, is this attitude of sensitivity, of understanding or identifying with another person. How often we, we do this sometimes out of just this heart of duty. You know, we kind of buy into this thing like, well, I guess God really wants me to do this. Okay, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll check in on them. I don't really want to, right? I mean, we're reluctant. It's burdensome because they're struggling. They're in a hard place. They're not fun to be around. But again, God tells us to be a people that are willing to be sensitive with one another. We have this willing sensitivity, a hard attitude that says, I may not fully understand how you feel, but I want to. I want to get into where you're at so that I can come alongside of you and I can encourage you. I want to, I want to enter into your world so I can feel what you're feeling and be there for you. It's this attitude that meets people where they're at and again, that doesn't always mean that you're going to agree with somebody. You may, you know, you may understand where they're at and, and what's driving them and still disagree with them. But again, at the very least, it means to strive to enter into their world, to work to see where they're coming from, what's driving them, and entering into that with them. And Romans twelve fifteen instructs us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is what God calls us to as, as uh, Christians, to be willingly sympathetic. And when we do that, brothers and sisters, we're being like Christ. Because in Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore... So in light of the fact that we have a high priest who can sympathize with us, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, as Christians, what drives us to Christ is the heartfelt belief that he 
is our sympathetic high priest. He gets, he gets us, even in our brokenness. He understands how hard life is. He knows what it's like to live in a fallen world. He knows what it's like to be human, to have these emotions and these feelings, to struggle. He identifies with us. He wasn't ashamed to put on human flesh. He was willing to do that for us. He knows our weaknesses because he partook of them. He became one of us so that he could offer his life up on our behalf. Though we're not perfect as he is, we too need to cultivate a heart of understanding, a heart of sensitivity toward one another. And when you and I do that, brothers and sisters, that's when we're being like Christ. When we enter into other people's worlds and we we have the sensitivity and we work to try to understand where they're coming from, that's when we're like Christ. Not when we just say, oh, that's so hard, and then leave it off to that. No, God calls us to be a people that are, are, are sympathetic, that are sensitive to where other people are coming from. And you know, this is so important for us during this time because some of us, some of us, yours, yours truly here, have been ready to come back for a while. Right? Some of us have been ready to come back since, you know, um, since this whole thing kind of rolled out. It's like, okay, let's just get back. Let's just suck it up and, and deal with it. But not everybody's there. Not everybody's there. There's some that are, are, are a little more hesitant. And, and maybe they have their reasons for being hesitant. Right? But the key thing is we're all at different places. We're all at a different place as to how soon we're looking to get back and how quickly we're thinking we're going to learn. And again, we need to, we need to understand that. Because again, there's, for every one of me, there's others that are, are, are wanting to get, whoa, let's, let's just kind of slow it down a little bit. This thing's pretty serious. This thing's not like other viruses. It can spread real easy. It can kind of do a lot of different things, right? And, and again, maybe, maybe these are people that have, have had loved ones, personal acquaintances or friends that, that have uh, suffered as a result of this coronavirus. So it hits them a little differently. And they're not quite ready to jump back into, you know, being around a bunch of people. As much as they love being around the body, they're just not quite at that place. And so again, I think knowing this, having this understanding uh, that both sides, right? The person who's ready to come back yesterday and the person who's a little more hesitant, both sides need to have and they need to practice this gospel sensitivity towards one another, Those of you that are not ready to return, don't be critical to those who are. And those of you who are ready to return, guard your heart from being insensitive towards those who are not. We're all at different places. We all all come from different backgrounds. We have different things. Again, what unites us is the gospel. But let's sympathize with wherever our other brothers and sisters land. Let's not just kind of look down at them because they don't land in the same exact place as you and I do. You know, there's a third Christ-exalting heart attitude that you and I are to have, and it's a, a heart of familial love, a heart of familial love. You know, you, you and I have families, right? We understand this idea of family, and so you understand what family love looks like to one extent or another, but so often we don't transfer our understanding of family to the church. We just kind of look at family as, okay, we've got our family but the church is kind of a different dynamic. That's not really kind of it. You know, to the church, we approach church with a, some kind of a consumer mentality. Like, okay, what is this church going to give me? What am I going to be able to get out of this church? How are they going to be able to serve me? 
right? Or we approach it from this business model. You know what? If a church is going to thrive and a church is going to excel, then it's got to approach things just like this. We don't approach it with this familial idea, right? We don't, we don't, we don't view it in, in the sense like, you know, a church is a family. It's a family. The scripture describes God's people as those who have trusted Christ and are in God's family. Notice what he says in verse 8. He says, to, sh- to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly. We're to be brotherly. We're to have this, this affection as family members for one another. The word translated brotherly is Philadelphia, from which we get the name of one of our famous cities, Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. Again, that name's based upon their desire to be a people that love one another as though they were brothers. Now, I've never been to Philadelphia, but I have heard that it's pretty rough, so maybe the type of brotherly love that they have for one another is a tough, tough brotherly love. But, you know, I don't know for sure, but as it pertains to the Christian community, you and I, you and I as Christians are to love one another because we are spiritual family. Again, we're not to pretend that we love one another. We're not to love as though we are, uh, we are as we, you know, just kind of acquaintances. We're to love as those that are in the same family because we are. We're going to be spending, get this, we're going to be spending eternity with one another in heaven. So again, if we're struggling to like each other here, then we're going to have some real problems throughout all of eternity, right? Because we need to make sure that we have this affection towards one another, this love for one another. Our familial love and affection should be sincere, genuine, and authentic. Again, back in 122, it says, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere, unhypocritical, that is, love of the brethren. There's our word, love of brothers. Fervently love one another from the heart. Agape love. The purest form of love. Peter says, since God has saved you, right? That's what obedience to the truth refers to. So now that you're, now that you're saved, now you are a part of the brotherhood or sisterhood. You are part of God's family. Therefore, fervently love one another from the heart. This is what God calls us to do, brothers and sisters. In John 13, 35, Jesus said that love is the distinguishing mark of a genuine follower of his. Romans 5, 5, it says, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, love of the brethren is evidence that the Holy Spirit lives in us. It's part of that fruit of the Spirit that comes out of us. Something that God gives to us supernaturally. So, but whereby we love people that come from different backgrounds, have different opinions and different ways of processing things. And yet he brings us all and he puts us all in a family. First John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. And then finally, chilling passage, 1 John 4.20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother... He is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Listen, family members, (laughs) family members don't always see eye to eye. We don't always see things uh, identically. But that doesn't change the fact that we're family. You know, I haven't been 
uh, at Calvary Bible Church for the past 30 years because I've always seen eye to eye with everyone. Now, I've been, I've been here because this is my spiritual family. I love the body here. I love the people, and I've been saddened as I've watched people come and go for various reasons. But again, we're still in the body of Christ. We're still united, even if they're not here. But it hurts when family members leave. But I've been here because, again, this is, this is family. This is home. This isn't a place that I come looking for, what's it going to give me? How am I going to get something from this? How can I consume here? How can I control things here? No, I'm here because this is my family, and I love being here. And that needs to be our heart set as well, our mindset as well, as we approach these things, as we move forward. There's going to be times where you're going to grow impatient with family members, where family members are going to just drive you nuts. And yet, again, if we understand that we have, we're to have this heart of familial love for one another, it helps us to work through that because that's what we do as family members. It should be what we do. Right? We don't just leave our family because somebody upsets us. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that when it comes to the church either. Times when we disagree with one another and people disagree with us is a time that we need to be more committed to the fact that we are a family. And we need to work through those things so that God can get the glory and Christ can be exalted in all that we say and do. You know, in, in, in all of that, as we go through all of these things, remember that we are, brothers and sisters, a spiritual family. We are not enemies. We are not on opposing teams. We are not out to get one another. So therefore, we need to practice familial love. And when we do this, this means that we will learn to listen to one another. We will take the time to find out where somebody's coming from. James 1.19 reminds us, But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And again, the context there is specific to a heart of teachability with reference to the Word of God. But it also applies to our conversations with one another. We need to be a people who are, are again, quick to hear slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's been said that God has given us two ears and one mouth for a reason. We need to be making sure that we are a people that are quick to listen and slow to speak, that we have this love for one another whereby we're willing to work things through, we're willing to listen and understand where our brother or our sister is coming from. Again, we may not agree. We may agree to disagree. But again, we have this familial love. This is my brother. This is my sister. And I'm committed to them, whether I agree with them or not. Familial love means we'll practice forgiveness towards one another. Because you know what? In a family, I mean, if you've got kids, you know family just sins against one another, right? If you've got a husband or a wife, you just know family sins against one another, right? I mean, that's the context in which you see the most sin. And yet there needs to be this willingness, this practice of forgiveness. In 1 Peter 4, 8, it says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. You see, if you and I have this familial love for one another, if you and I kind of approach the church body as this is our family, 
we're going to be quicker to to move to forgiveness because we're going to realize all that God has done for us in Christ. And it's the love that he has shown to us, again, not because you and I are so lovable, right? God doesn't love us because, oh, Brock, you are so lovable. No, Brock, you're a sinner, but you know what? I love you. And that needs to be our approach with other people as well. That's what being a family is all about. We need to make sure that we hold on to that. Even even with people who are dealing with the coronavirus in a different way than you and I might be. We need to think about that. And we need to, especially within our family here, we need to be gracious uh, in our dealings with one another. Which brings us to our fourth Christ-exalting heart attitude. And that is that we need to cultivate and be committed to a heart of tender compassion. A heart of tender compassion. Now, this is closely related to familial love, but I think it goes even deeper and further in that it describes to us to what our hearts should feel for others and therefore what it should drive us to do for others. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted. Kind-hearted. And again, here's one of the strongest words in the Greek to describe one's affections and and love for one another as believers. It conveys such a a heartfelt affection that it literally refers to one's inner bowels, right? To one's intestinal organs, to one's heart, lungs, liver. And and again, back in that day, these were all things that were thought to be the, the seed of a person's emotions. You know, nowadays we just kind of refer to the heart and all the other organs, well, they're just nasty organs, right? But back then, you know, the the bowels of everything kind of, it was all of kind of what a person's feelings and emotions kind of came from. And this was the seed of that. And this this refers to that tender compassion that you and I are called to have for others, a compassion, a pity that is far from fake or superficial. It's heartfelt, It's something that we feel so strongly that it drives us to act on behalf of others. And where do we look for such tender pity? Again, we look to our affectionate Savior. We come back to Jesus Christ. We look to our ultimate example and we look at Christ. And it says uh, in Matthew 9, 36, that upon seeing the people, the multitudes who were coming to him, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. You know, upon seeing the spiritual condition of the people, their spiritual lostness and their aimlessness, Jesus didn't just kind of turn a blind eye and ignore them. No, we're told that Jesus was moved to tender pity and compassion for them. And brothers and sisters, Christ is this great example of, of tender affection. He showed this compassion in coming to seek and save those who were lost. You know, it's been said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, with Jesus, there was no doubt that he had a genuine love for people. He, and that love for, for people played out in this pity and this compassion. He felt for them. He wasn't indifferent to their, their needs. He was moved by the things that they were struggling with. You know, those of us who experience the compassion of Christ are called to cultivate this kind of heart for others. You know, when when we see people hurting, our first response shouldn't be indifference. It shouldn't be, well, it stinks to be you. No, it should be a heart of compassion. 
It should be compassion for those that are hurting. We should feel compassion for the person that is suffering injustice. We should feel compassion for the person who is being exploited. We should feel compassion for the person who's being abused. We should feel compassion for the person who is being dealt with through hatred. And this compassion should move us to act and to deal with things in a way that we do what we can do to help. Because again, we have compassion for what that person's going through and the struggle that they have. I mean, Paul had this heart, brothers and sisters. He had this heart of compassion. Philippians 1.8 says, For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection, literally the inward parts of, of Christ Jesus. Paul understood that this was a Christ-enabled affection for his brethren. This wasn't something that he had naturally. This is something that came to him as a result of the Holy Spirit dwelling in him and working in him to give him this compassion and this love for others. And beloved, if Paul, a redeemed human being just like you and me, could cultivate this kind of heart, we need to do the same. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another tender-hearted, the same exact word, forgiving one another just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. See, it's only those who have experienced the kindness, the compassion, the forgiveness of God who are then able to respond to others in a, in a like manner, especially during times of great adversity, especially during times where people are divided and things are difficult especially in a time where the body is having to come back to things not being like it once was and people are responding differently. Those who've been broken over their sin understand all that God has done for them and therefore they live out of gratitude and appreciation. They keep the main thing the main thing. They're united on their focus on Christ and in honoring Him. You see, ultimately it comes back to the gospel, doesn't it? The more you and I understand what Christ has done for us, the more we want to live differently so that that gospel can be put on display and lives can be transformed and people can be transformed out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, the, of, of our beloved, of Jesus, of God's beloved son. This is what it's about. This is what we need to be about. This is what needs to drive everything that we do. This is what our, our heart of compassion comes from as we look to Jesus and all that he's done for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Brothers and sisters, if that doesn't move you, there's something wrong with you. There's something not right in your heart. And again, I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but I'm talking about if you're not moved by the fact that Jesus Christ went through everything that he went through to save a sinner like you, then there is something wrong. And you need to come back to the gospel. You need to come back to the one who put on display everything that I'm talking about this morning. So return to the foot of the cross. Come back to this basic truth of who Christ is and what he's done for you. And let that move you. Let that be the thing that stirs within you a compassion. May that cause you to feel maybe in a way that you haven't for quite some time. But be reminded of your own sin, your own brokenness, your, your own need for daily forgiveness, and be compassionate as you deal with others. Because only then can we display the same grace towards others when we understand what God has done for us. You know, again, if we lack this, 
and I think a lot of us do, then we need to commit this to the Lord. We need to, we need to pray. We need to ask God to, to change our hearts, to give us a heart of tender compassion so we can really feel where other people are at. Which brings us to our fifth and final Christ-exalting heart attitude that we need to display towards one another, and that is a heart of authentic humility. A heart of authentic humility. This is really the heart attitude of all of these, and it says, to sum up, all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Notice, humble in spirit is a, is a humility from the heart. This is not referring to a false sense of humility that says, woe is me, I'm nothing, I'm a worm, good for nothing, I'm useless. You know, whatever terms you may use to kind of uh, have people say, oh, no, 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 you're, you're, you're not that. You know, so many times we can kind of have this false humility, but that's not what's being talked about here. This is speaking about a genuine inner heartfelt sense of one's lowly position before the Lord, right? And that's the standard. Christ is the standard. He's the one that we're coming to and looking to. It's to have this right view of oneself, a right assessment of oneself, because we understand ourselves in the light of who God is and how far short we fall. Brothers and sisters, this should move us to be more and more amazed when we think about all that God has done to make a way for our sins to be forgiven, the more we understand how undeserving we are, the more filled with gratitude we should be. The, the, the moment we start thinking, boy, God sure is lucky to have me, that's when we're done and we're useless and we're not able to do anything that would be carried into eternity. God calls us to have a heart of authentic humility. John Owen writes this, he says, Humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. In other words, what he's saying is the more our view of God grows and grows, the more accurate picture we'll have of ourselves. You see, when Christ is the standard, when that's what's held up, you know, we can stand our, our full nature and say, okay, let me just be who I am strengths, weaknesses, and all. But the moment we bring that in light to Christ and we see and we compare that to Christ, how can you, how can you stand? How can you, how can you boast? Again, this is something that we all have to come back to and we all have to take a look and realize what it is that God has done for lowly sinners like us. And again, that doesn't mean we don't have worth. We have great worth because Christ was willing to pay such a great price to redeem us, to bring us into this family. I think the more you and I realize that, the more humble we will be because we realize it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about what I can do. It's about what Christ has done for me. Brothers and sisters, this is a key truth that needs to drive us as we move forward. We need to have authentic humility as we move forward. Turn with me real quick to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, it, uh, it, it kind of shows us this, uh, this elevation of, of Christ and this, this humbleness that is there. And in 127, we have this call to unity in the gospel. And then in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, we see the, the basis for this unity. 
And the basis through this, of this unity is our relationship and the privileges that are ours in Christ. And then from there in verses 3 and 4, we see this attitude that leads to unity, which is humility, being humble. It's humility that leads to putting others before ourselves. It's humility that causes us to think of others as being more important than ourselves. And in verses 5 and 8, we see the supreme example of humility. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just listen. Listen to these verses as I read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ... If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And here's the example. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is our example, brothers and sisters. This is what God calls us to look to. He he brings us face to face with his son. And he shows us all that his son has done. And he calls us to follow his son. In humility. So what does gospel humility look like during this time? Well, I think authentic humility will show itself in, in patience. I think we'll be patient with one another if we're going to be practicing authentic humility. Patience as we adjust our expectations, as we deal with the restrictions. You know, the reality is that things won't be back to normal. At least not immediately, not right away. It's going to take some time. And we'll just need to make slow, steady progress in this in the weeks and the months ahead. Humble patience, though, will be a big part of this for each of us. We need to make sure that we practice this patience and humility as we deal with the changes that are before us. I think authentic humility will show itself in a a servant's heart. I think during these times, there are things that need to get done. There are things that need to happen. We're going to have things that are going to need to be cleaned, things that are going to need to get changed and and we all need to kind of have this attitude of how can we step in and help rather than when can I come back to church and just have things be the way that I want them to be. I think we need to have this humility that will show itself in a servant's heart. We need to look to make ourselves available in any way we can, even if it's wiping down pews or cleaning up a bathroom, whatever it may be, even ways beyond our comfort zone. We need to be looking to be people that serve, that come to the body looking for ways to jump in and help in any way that we can. I also think that authentic humility will show itself in our gracious treatment of others. Humble people recognize their inadequacy, right? They, they recognize their weaknesses. They, they understand their, their neediness and the fact that we're all desperately in need of God's help. 
And so again, we'll we'll understand our inadequacies and, and deal with that with other people's. We'll also recognize that um, that you'll you'll need to be gracious to one another. Again, not not everyone is in the same place as you are. Not everybody's approaching this the same way that you do. This is why we need to be gracious and flexible with one another during this very unique and unprecedented time. And again, if we recognize this, then hopefully, yeah, I'm going to go on a stretch here, hopefully you'll be gracious to us as your shepherds because again, we don't have a playbook on this. We don't know exactly how best to move forward on this. So we're, we're relying on the Lord. We're crying out to God to give us wisdom to do this right. We want in the, in the, the worst way, to do it right so that we can care for the body that are all at various different places. And again, those of you that have, again, sent texts and, and notes of encouragement and everything, like, thank you. Continue to, to pray for us and continue to be patient with us. Because again, we, don't, we can't go to the verse and say, okay, here, this is what it says, so this is therefore what we have to do. No, I mean, we have principles that guide us, but again, people are landing in different places as to what we should do, and there's mixed information. And again, I think we need to make sure that we all are patient in our dealings with that and gracious, especially with our shepherds as they lead us. You know, we're shepherding through this body through, again, unprecedented times, and we need wisdom. And we're crying out to God for wisdom. And we would just ask you to do the same on our behalf, to continue to cry out to God that he would give us wisdom and the ability to lead this body well. We want to care for every member of this body. And we want to do it in a a God-honoring way. So pray for us that we would honor the Lord by caring for your souls and caring for your bodies as well. Again, ultimately for the glory of God. That That is our heart's desires, brothers and sisters. And we want nothing more than to do this in a way so that Christ can be exalted. So as we look to begin this process of regathering, of kind of coming back together again, let us be sure that we're a people that are seeking to to have a heart of diligent unity, a heart of willing sensitivity, a heart of familial love, a heart of tender compassion, and a heart of authentic humility. I think if we do that, then we'll bring glory to God through all that we're going through as we go forward and start to regather. Let me go ahead and pray for our our time as we wrap up with the song. Let's just pray and ask God to do a work in each of us as we prepare uh, next Sunday to start moving things back. But let's just continue to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what a great God you are. And we thank you for the grace and the mercy that you have shown us in your Son, I pray, Father, that as we prepare ourselves to get ready to come back next Sunday with a limited number of of maximum of 100 people, I pray, Father, that you will do a work in us, that you will help us to be a body of believers that put the gospel on display in all that we do. Lord, help us to be a people that are, are gracious and patient and compassionate with one another. Father, help us to ultimately follow Christ's example. Again, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to be able to get together even even remotely like this, Father, even through a live feed. I pray that you will just use this time to prepare us so that as we do get back together, our hearts will be in the right place and Christ would be exalted. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.